This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you yeah. want says here hey yo Times don't last, but bad guys do. Marvelous me. Marvelous me. Hi everyone, Dave Ryan here with Lee Malone for the special kind of Days of Thunder episode you never really want to do. Uh, on Monday night, March 14th, just as Raw was about to go to the air, we all got the terrible news that Scott Hall had passed away at the age of 63. Uh, because of how large Scott's shadow looms over WCW and professional wrestling in general, we wanted to put together a special show that talks about his life and career with uh, the thoughts of our listeners and some of our friends, because really, what a life it was. Uh, Lee, I know two days later, as we're recording this, I, I'm definitely still a bit in shock. I don't know about you. Yeah, um, Scott Hall is one of those guys that you just... Like, in spite of all his troubles and demons for the past, God, 20 plus years, you just never thought it was going to go away because he's come come back so many, so many times. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of numbing to say that Scott Hall has died and we're never going to hear another hey yo, another, you know, another one for the good guys. And it's just, it's more than... More than Eddie's death, more than Owen's death, this one, maybe it's because I'm a bit older, I, as I've gotten older, I kind of, I kind of, 
I can appreciate what wrestlers go through, like being away from their families all the time and things like that. So may, maybe that's why it's hit a little bit harder this time. Mm. Yeah, it definitely. I, I I absolutely hear what you say. I you know when I came up with the idea for for doing this show, I kind of not even an idea. It's like like I said at the top, I I kind of feel like we have to, you know, because this is a guy mm-hmm. who I think, um, we'll get into it, but he was a big figure in both our childhoods. Um, he's one of the most recognizable names of his generation, and probably. You know, as I was tweeting out when it happened, in the top five most recognizable and important people during the most popular period of modern American wrestling. Um, it oh, uh, like no, no doubt. Like when when you consider that if Scott Hall never jumped to WCW, we wouldn't be doing a show called Days of Thunder. There wouldn't have been a WCW Thunder. Yeah. Um. Like the the man was so influential in how American wrestling changed in the mid nineties, mm. and that's not to say the impact he had in the WWF before that. Like, yeah. and it's uh, like I was about to say there, it, it was kind of it, it's one of those deaths where I think why it's particularly numbing um, is you know I was I was saying what you said to to Rich when I was talking about the fact we were going to do this. I said it's just one of those where. He had so many near misses, brushes with death in the past, or times where you thought, oh God, like, is this it for poor Scott? He came back so many times, you just began to think he was indestructible. And not just because of that, but because I think whenever somebody that's such an integral part of your your childhood or your adolescence or your fandom, whenever you got into professional wrestling, when they die it's really tough to take on because they are larger than life. These characters, you know, you, you don't think of them dying, even though it happens so, so much in professional wrestling, it still doesn't get any easier. Uh, that alone when it's somebody, you know, you know, you mentioned them like an Owen, like an Eddie or, or like a Scott Hall. That was just like so many people's favorite or, or one of the guys that I think even people who, watch wrestling for a little while in the 90s and doesn't watch it anymore or probably saw the headline this week recognize the face or recognize the name Scott Hall or Razor Ramon um, just synonymous with the sport of professional wrestling yeah for sure like I I've had a number of people come up to me and say you know this week that you know I, I saw on, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever that, that Scott Hall Razor Ramon had died and you know, it's people that wouldn't be modern wrestling fans. It's people that, you know, grew up at Razor Ramon. And I think that's, for me, another reason it kind of hits a little bit harder. Um, like we'll hear in some of the audio um, we received from a couple of friends of ours that, you know, they grew up with um, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall on their televisions. And even more so than, like I said, than Eddie, even more so than any other wrestling death like i personally grew up watching racer ramon on saturday mornings yeah um scott hall was a massive massive part of the like you said the the attitude era boom mm. um yeah he was on the other side but he was a massive massive part of it um and then of course his comeback and he's never really been away from wrestling ever since no um and never far away from people's minds either 
Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, look, you know, I, I, I want this show to be, you know, mostly a fond look back at our memories of him. But, you know, just to briefly mention what did happen over the weekend is that he was in for, for hip surgery. And just like, the, I think this is another reason it hits so hard is because you're just not expecting it. You know, when when somebody goes in for like hip surgery and the poor guy has three heart attacks on the table and the first we kind of hear of it is that he's on life support. um, And... Mm-hmm. It was pretty much, there was no tone of he's going to pull out of this. It was pretty much as he's just on life support until his family can get there. And I think we had two days nearly of waiting for the news um, that we were all dreading and that it came through. Yeah, on on Monday morning, um, I woke up and as a lot of people tend to do, like the first thing I did was pick up the phone. I kind of scrolled through Twitter and Instagram and seeing Kevin Ash's Instagram post just absolutely like just devastating like it just like I'd heard about the heart attacks and um like you said earlier like I just never expected I was like ah look it's Scott Hall he's fucking heart attack isn't gonna take him out yeah um but yeah then just seeing Kevin Ash's Instagram post just like I I don't like on the verge of tears, I'd, I'd say, is just how I was but, reading it. Just it just absolutely heartbreaking. Because we're not just getting the news; we were getting it through the lens of his best friends. Like it was the like mm-hmm. the people who were giving us the most up to date stuff were Nash and Waltman all weekend, you know, um, which made it just that yeah. bit harder um, to take. But like um, Sean Waltman, Sean Waltman's tweet of "He's gone" oh. is just. Yeah, uh, devastating. Like, again, I I I had gone to bed by the time the uh, news had broken, and yeah, when I woke up and again saw that, like I I saw all the initially saw everything about Scott had died and blah blah, and all the um, outpouring of grief and etc. But then as I was scrolling through and I just saw Sean's tweet, and I was just like, oh, God, that that's just like. I have a massive amount of respect for his friends actually taking the time to just even even post something like that just to update fans mm. because how else were, like it would have been a Melter tweet or would have been whatever else but to have the respect for people they really didn't have to tell yeah and they just took the time to like like Nash to post that it's just mm. yeah it's like I can't imagine how they are feeling like we we've seen fans from all over the world all ages give their thoughts but like yeah my, like my thought my thoughts definitely go out to his friends and his family at the moment yeah same for myself um i can't can only imagine what they're going through it's like you know we lost somebody that was important in our lives in in his own way but not nearly as important as he was to the likes of you know his family and friends um yeah may you rest in peace um Look, let's um, let's talk about our, our fond memories of Scott Hall. Let's let's kind of go in the way back machine, and kind of go through his career, um, and just have some chats. And you know, we'll intersperse it with uh, some clips from our friends talking about the man himself, uh, and then we're going to finish off with we we put out a call 
uh, over the, the the couple of days since he passed. Just asking any listeners, any contributors, um, if they'd like to share some thoughts, some feelings, some match recommendations uh, about Scott. Hey everyone, this is Gerard DiTrolio from the Emerald Flow Show here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I wish I was speaking to the Thunder Buddies under better circumstances, but I'm here to talk about the career of Scott Hall and what it meant to me. This is a total cliche, but I have to talk about his ladder matches with Shawn Michaels. In this age where WWE seemingly puts on ladder matches every other week, and AEW has their fair share too, the Razor vs. Michaels matches stand the test of time. They were about guys wrestling with a ladder in the ring as opposed to wrestling with a ladder. The spots are a lot less contrived and the structure of the matches are pretty logical. Hopefully with all the memories that everyone is sharing about Scott Hall, some wrestlers go back and watch those matches and then have a ladder match in the spirit of those. I also remember his very brief run in ECW. The one match I saw his against Sally Graziano was awful, but it should be remembered that the ECW fans loved him, and along with Sid's brief run there, it showed that big names from the major companies would still get huge pops even in promotions like ECW that market itself as a challenge to the mainstream. We see the same thing happening in GCW today. And to do something very on brand for me, I have to mention his time in Japan. His run in 2001 in New Japan wasn't outstanding, but it wasn't bad either. But at a time when New Japan was increasingly coming under the influence of Enochism, his presence was a welcome contrast. Many have already noted his match against Hiroshi Tanahashi, but another highlight for me was him teaming with Masahiro Chono. The cool heel factor was off the charts when they were together. Now here's my match recommendation. It's Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus Shinya Hashimoto and Naoya Ogawa from Hustle 3 on May 8, 2004. This was the pinnacle of sports entertainment infecting Japan. It's a sub-10 minute match, and a shockingly decent one given the condition of several of the participants at that point. Hall and Nash work relatively hard by their standards, but that's not at all surprising when you consider how much they were making just for that one match, a rumored $75,000 each according to Meltzer. But watching them do their heel shtick and then having Hashimoto stiff them is a lot of fun to watch. In closing, the biggest sign of Scott Hall's impact on pro wrestling was just how many other wrestlers who came after him tried and failed to be the cool bad guy. Hall was a pioneer in that regard. While many imitators of others in wrestling find success, there are very few like him. Rest in peace, Scott. Uh, My first question, Lee, to kick us off is, what is your earliest memory of, I would have to assume, Razor Ramon at the time? I mean the vignettes, the 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 introductory vignettes are the first memory I have because again I would have been watching Superstars Wrestling Challenge at the time, and you want to talk about a guy that just instantly popped off the screen, like yeah with hindsight and you know once I saw the movie it's very obvious he's doing Tony Montana, but my God did that man own that role of being. A wrestling version of Tony Montana. Um, we take you now, ladies and gentlemen, to a Cuban immigrant, an individual who apparently feels as though the streets of America are paved with gold. Here is Razor Ramon. Ramon. Razor Ramon. I come from the gutter. I know that. I got no education. Who needs it? Look at me. Look at me. 
Look at the gold. Look at my clothes. I'm a success. I'm coming to the WWF. All I want is what I got coming to me. The world, chico. Everything in it. Today, having come home from work and then I kind of watched, I jumped in and watched all the vignettes. I think there's seven of them in total. Mm. Um, they're just so good. Like, yeah, they're cheesy WWF, fairly 90s, you know, new generation stuff. But still, that man just owns the screen and he owns your attention. There's one in particular, he's kind of by like a fruit and veg stall. And the camera kind of is moving back as as you know Razor was walking towards you it's kind of moving with him and you see in the background people stop what they're doing to watch this man and I don't know if anything encapsulates more just that physical charisma that Scott Hall had than people stopping what they were doing and watching this man cut a promo about taking what he wants yeah and yeah, it's just it's it's the early promos like everyone knows them the the car, the um, calling himself El Jefe. Yeah. Um, you get a couple of early, you know, he there's one where he calls out all the top WWF stars at the time: Bret Hart, Matt. We get an early not an early Nacho Man shout out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just it's great stuff. It really is. And that's the thing is like the two things you notice about the guy immediately the first time you see him one is the look you know during that razor ramon period obviously with the 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 gold the clothes the hair slicked back the little the little curly cue the the toothpick the curl, yeah and you know as well this is something i guess because you know wwf and wcw at the time land of the giants people maybe don't realize like this dude was six seven and just like a, a, a tiny bit short of 290 pounds like that, that's a huge human being a huge human being it, it's it's funny you say that because like you look at the people that he was surrounded with his entire career yeah. you have dan spivey you have <laughs> kevin nash um like he was constantly in matches against people like Sid, Undertaker. Yeah. Like genuine giants of men. Yeah. And Scott Hall is just below them. Like if you compared Scott Hall to like Brett, Sean, like the kind of smaller guys of the time, like Scott was a big man who wrestled as a small man. Yeah. It it kind of like it, it's like the maybe the, the last rib of his, like, finally the penny dropped for me is the whole him calling himself the medium-sized mang when, in fact, he would be the biggest yeah. mang in any other room. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's crazy. But as well as the look and the physique, it's the charisma. You know, you mentioned it there. It's like mm-hmm. not only the charisma on the microphone to pull off what would have been an incredibly ridiculous gimmick for almost anybody else to try and pull off. Yeah. But the physical charisma as well. Just the man, like you said, owning a room, owning a ring, 
and his mannerisms, his swagger, just everything about him. He was an unbelievably magnetic presence in and out of the ring, I think. Like, it... It's the small things that always stand out. Like I'm, I'm not great at remembering dates and specific matches. Like I've, I've seen so much wrestling that a lot of it tends to blend together in my memory because unless I've kind of watched them recently, it, it, it takes me a minute to kind of remember specifics. But like with Razor, like it's all the, the, the small touches. Like you said, the two pick. Yeah. He always had one in the mouth, one in the ear. Yeah. He. The gold chain, like every time he take off the chains, and you know, sticking the he- his head out through the rope, handing them to the, the ringside attendant, and threatening them, you know, don't, don't lose my stuff, don't, you know, don't touch it, blah blah blah. Um, it's just stuff like that. Like with Razor, it just it's ingrained in the memory. Yeah. Um, there, <laughs> I don't know about you, but like I, I've been watching kind of stuff the last two days and. <laughs> there's one great moment that sticks out it's uh in the 93 rumble match with with brett and um, brett comes out you know does his brett thing and gives his glasses to a, a kid in the first row and razor quick as anything is out sticking his head through the rope pointing at the kid and he flicks his toothpick at the kid and it's just like you know what that man gets it yeah he's just yeah brett brett's the superhero good guy I'm the asshole dickhead that's going to flick my toothpick at him. Yeah. Uh, my personal memories of Scott Hall, you know, me being a few years younger than you, and uh, my first solid memories of watching WWF were you know, probably after he left. And um, then I don't watch WCW until 99, so it's, like, right towards the end of his WCW run. And, again, I wasn't seeing the best of him in-ring-wise by that stage. But, again, that charisma just absolutely leaks through the TV when you're watching. And even then, like, a couple of years later, when WCW has folded and... They bring in the NWO into WWF for that kind of really kind of half-arsed NWO run. Um, still, a gr- like of the three of them, the one I was most excited to see get a run in WWF was Scott Hall. You know? Um, and I, I have distinct memories of like one of my favorite kind of cheap heat segments from around the era is him um, in the build-up to his match against Steve Austin, uh, where he's just like, he's he's getting, the crowd are shitting on him because the previous week on Raw, the NWO had beat down Stone Cold. And he's like, I got a match tonight and the next guy that comes through there, I'm going to pretend like he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Music hits and it's fucking Spike Dudley. And <laughs> Razor Ramon proceeds to be the biggest shit-eating heel as he beats Spike, poor little Spike Dudley, pillar to post, Razor's Edge, absolute squash. Because this is a guy who, he he knew his role. He knew what he was there for. He, he was like, mm-hmm. 
he was not getting any sort of like cool points against Stone Cold Steve Austin. So he was just going to get all the heat on him he could before the, the hero comes in and stomps him out at WrestleMania. Uh, I, I love that segment. But then, obviously, years later, going back to watch some of his Razor Ramon stuff, because I had always, you know, I, I've told the story on the show before about how my two cousins got me into wrestling. And I would always remember Razor Ramon was one of the guys they mentioned being a huge fan of. Um, so then later on, going back to, to check out stuff from his Fed run, which, you know, I'm sure we're, we're going to get to in, in due course here. Um, I gained more and more of an appreciation for him. Um, and yeah, just like, just a... I've already said it, larger than life. Larger than life. One of mm-hmm. those that like... There will never be another Scott Hall. You know, it, it's a trite thing to say when someone passes away, but truly, there will never be another person like him. This is Jerry Evergood of Voices of Wrestling, the Magic Writing Girl, and I'm still, I'm still trying to overcome the fact that Scott Hall is no longer with us. When I was a kid watching pro wrestling, and he was Razor Ramon. Especially in the early days, his finisher, the Razor's Edge, made me cringe every single time. I bought it as a career-threatening move. It just looked cool. And I think that's the best thing I can say. Razor Ramon just gave off this aura of cool, good guy, bad guy, tweener, whatever. Just this cool, cocky charisma that he just pulls off and always pulled off. No matter what element of his career he was in. I remember he had a match with 123 Kid as his partner against Diesel and Shawn Michaels, 94. It was 10 30, 94, the action zone. And it's an incredible tag team match and a great, great example of what Razor Ramon is capable of. And I suggest you all go seek out that match. Wrestling is worse without Scott Hall. His greatest victories were outside of the ring, and I admire and respect that he got himself better and healthy in the final few years of his life. He said it best, bad times don't last forever, but bad guys do, and he is legend, and he will always, always be a part of professional wrestling in our lives. We're going to miss you, Scott rest in his career himself i suppose we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the start just for like a few bits and pieces for people who kind of may not be hugely familiar with uh the kind of older stuff he was he was trained by um dusty Rhodes, mike rotunda and barry windham and he broke in uh for crockett in the carolinas and he was teaming with dan spivey uh as part of a tag team known as the american starship where he was american starship coyote uh, and he'd go by a lot of names Lee, throughout his career between, you know, Coyote, he was a Diamond Stud, Razor Ramon, Texas Scott was one of my favorite ones that was going around on Twitter this week. Texas Scott being billed from Florida um, it was good stuff. And <laughs> that, 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 that makes sense in the most wrestling way possible. Yeah. And a guy who, um, again, it's a shame it didn't... Uh, kind of return later in his career you see older pictures of scott hall just a hall of fame level mustache on the man as well 
oh fucking muscly Tom Selleck like mm. <laughs> you you want to talk about like a guy that got younger as he got older mm. um, if you've never seen Scott Hall when he breaks into the business this man is a fucking unit of a man yeah like you said he's legit 6667 he has the kind of Kevin Keegan-esque curly hair yeah. <laughs> mop of hair um, and then the Tom Selleck mustache yeah but then by the time he's the diamond stud in I want to say like 1990 WCW 1991 WCW yeah um, the tash is gone the hair is now long um, he has the kind of the curl at the front which became a uh, as as part of a lawsuit, believe it or not, between WCW and WWF was whether <laughs> Scott Hall had that fucking curl at the front of his hair prior to being Razor Ramon. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know how how much early Scott Hall have you seen? Very, very little, I would say. I, I'm definitely, like, you know, in the wake of everything, I, I kind of kick myself for not making more of an effort to look at some of his, his early stuff or his stuff in Japan either. Um, but how familiar would you be with that period of his career? The, the kind of 1984 through uh, his his first WCW stint? Not very, to be honest. Yeah. Um, AWA is a big black hole in my kind of, my viewing. Um, and again, a reminder to people, it's okay to have blind spots in what you've seen because mm-hmm. there is so much wrestling. Yeah. That it's okay not to know. Yeah. But it, like a couple of people have recommended some AWA matches to us. Yeah. Um particularly his team with Kurt Henning gets a lot of good reviews. I watched yeah. one match there today. Um it was Kurt Henning and Scott Hall against mm-hmm. uh Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity Steve Regal. Huh. Not that Steve Regal, in case yeah. you aren't aware. Um but yeah. The AWA is a, a kind of a black spot in my viewing. Yeah. Um so not a, very familiar, but I have seen kind of matches here or there of yeah. Young Scott Hall. I suppose for you know the majority of people that the first time he uh, he really pops onto the scene is is the debut of Razor. You mentioned it; those vignettes that were really um, just really well produced, really well put together, uh, and as I said, mm. a, a character that's completely ridiculous in in other people's hands. I, I li- ha- ha- oh, yeah. I was going to say, have you ever heard the um, Bruce Pritchard podcast about Razor's run in WWF? No. So those vignettes were actually recorded in Connecticut. Ah. It does not look like Connecticut. No, it doesn't. Apparently there's a Cuban area of Connecticut. (laughs) Um, You learn something new every day. So yeah, apparently they did a really good job, Mm. I think, of kind of making it appear as Miami. I, I, this is something that I, I, I feel it's a lost art nowadays is the really good character vignette where there's a long tease before they come in but it's not like you know the equivalent now is the, the running joke about Veer is coming to Raw you know where it's they're not really doing mm-hmm. anything to develop the character or get you interested or make you understand the motivations these razor vignettes are absolutely fantastic and they're 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 just like even i I watched the the clip from 
superstars, I think, where, where Vince introduces is like, you know, the first vignette. And he's just like, this guy is a Cuban-American who sees, you know, the United States as the land of opportunity. Let's now hear from superstar Razor Ramon. And that's his first one where he's in the all white and he's standing there just going, mm-hmm. look at me. You know, it's really, really good. The, the accent, he hasn't like quite got it under control just no. yet at that point. If it, if you watch all the vignettes, the accent kind of comes and goes here and there. Yeah. But you do get all the classic, you got the mang. Yeah. Um, he, he uses cockroach. Yeah. Um, like I said, he refers to himself as El Jefe yeah. in uh, three or four of them as well. But mm. yeah, no, just, I mean, just the uh, the clobber he wears in some of these vignettes is just, like, unbelievably bright. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the great little trivia fact as well, that is his first match on uh, on Superstars, uh, a squash match he wins with the, the Razor's Edge, uh, was against local jobber Paul Van Dale, who is Carmella's father. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's a nice little trivia fact. Um, speaking of the Razor's Edge, yes. Do you know what was called when he used it as the Diamond Stud? Ooh, no, I don't. Give me some trivia, my friend. It was the Diamond Death Drop. Oh, the three. So it was the original three D. <laughs> yeah. So don't let Bubba Dudley tell you any fucking different. <laughs> More on him later. <laughs> <laughs> And finishers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, let, you know, while we're on it, let's talk about the move. Um, the Razor's Edge, it, laterally known as the Outsider Edge, one of the most devastating finishers I had ever seen in my life the first time I saw it. I mean, I mean, just thinking of the move, like, it's a scary move to consider, like, consider taking. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, like, every other child that watched wrestling, you have done the move numerous times to younger siblings, cousins, mm-hmm. friends, uh, teddy bears. Mm-hmm. Even on a teddy bear, you'd, like, fuck, that looks like a hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, again, like, me being that little bit older than you, I was more aware of Razor as a young child. Absolutely, when we would be playing wrestling, there was somebody that was going to try and do the Razor's Edge. Yeah. I, for me, for my generation, it was like the Razor's Edge was almost always uh, my creator wrestler's finisher on, on any yeah. video game uh, that I was creating a wrestler on. Because it just, like I said, it looked like absolute death. Um, like you said, it's a mm-hmm. scary one to like, I don't know if I'd be running up volunteering to take a Razor's Edge. Um, and it always looked great when he hit it because like he's such a, he's such a big strong guy that he was getting people up there who just like you no right to be lifting up there <laughs> you know what i mean it's um just a strong strong guy a great great finish as well yeah it doesn't kind of adhere to that you need a finish you can hit out of absolutely nowhere thing but you know that that doesn't always matter i think i think when it's such an iconic move and mm. i think it's fair to say it is iconically the razor's edge mm. um yeah, it's it's like well worth using, and I saw uh, I I can't remember who it was on Twitter said in the last couple of days. I don't recall anyone ever kicking out of the Razor's Edge. No, no one jumps to mind. 
I think somebody pointed out there may have been a rope break on one. Yeah. But very similar to um, Kenny Omega's Woman the Angel, I think it's been very protected over the years. And yeah. if somebody did kick out, I'm sure it was... Like, there's, there's no big moment that springs to mind for yeah. me. If if anyone did, it was a an incredibly rare thing. Mm-hmm. Um, look, he has several iconic moments in the WWF. The first one I want to talk about is... It's kind of emblematic of what the guy was like, according to a lot of his peers. And something the two of us have said as we were putting together this show is, I think maybe for younger fans, he gets painted, perhaps slightly unfairly, um, for some of that period in WCW, while where the politicking for the NWO guys was absolutely rife. Um this was a guy that if you watched him, watched him closely, even in winning efforts, this was a guy who was characterized by how much he gave to his opponents and mm-hmm. how he, when he was selling for his opponents, he made them look like a million bucks. And one of, it's very rare in wrestling that an upset win is as historic as his loss to Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid, as he would come to be known, um, in 93. Like, you want to talk about a a win that shocked the world. This is one that people who are around watching this at the time, they still talk about it to this day. Yeah, it... Um... I don't remember specifically when I first saw it, but I want to say it was probably the mania the the weekend after the Raw had aired. So, like, Raw was on the Monday, mania would be on this Saturday morning over here. Yeah. So, I'd imagine it was that week that I saw it. But, yeah, you want to talk about, like, an absolute, like, just something you would never, ever have expected. Um, you have this guy, the kid, who had been bounced around for the last, I think, it was at least a month anyway, he'd been on Raw and Superstars and whatever else, and he'd been the Cannonball Kid, the Lightning Kid, the Kamikaze Kid, um, you even hear at the start of the match, um, Macho Man says, hey McMahon, what's he going by this week? And Vince is like, oh, I, I think he's just the kid. Um so, like, yeah, like, you see Razor come out on Raw, you're thinking instantly, okay, this is just going to be a nice little squash, Razor's going to win. Like, the smartest of smart fan could not have, even in 1993, considered that, like, 160-pound Sean Waltman, Lightning Kid, is going to pin Razor Ramon, who had main-evented the Royal Rumble that year. Yeah. Like, less than six... Uh, like what about six months into his WWF run yeah was already like main eventing pay-per-views um it's gonna come along and beat Razor Ramon on Raw in what two and a half minutes I think the match lasts Mm. um but yeah like just Scott Hall in this match is just so giving when he absolutely did not need to be like I don't think he like, he wouldn't have owed Sean Waltman anything at this point. Yeah. Um, I 
from off the top of my head, I don't think they would have crossed paths too often before this point. Mm. Um, but you want to talk about making a career. Yeah. Like, Scott Hall made Sean Waltman's career from this point forward. Yeah. Yes, he was doing his job. And mm. absolutely, I understand that part of it. But, like, just everything about this match is so perfect. You want... If, like, any wrestler today wants to study how you get your opponent over... And you build to an even bigger match now, further down the line. Mm. Like, just study Scott Hall in this match. Yeah. It's perfection. And look, you know, Sean Waltman was an incredibly talented guy. And, you know, I'm sure he would have, you know, made a nice little career for himself regardless. But I think this is the, like, this and his, you know, his subsequent, him and, him and Razor then become intertwined for the longest mm-hmm. time throughout the rest of the year. And, um... Without that, I I don't think Waltman is is in the position he is today because again, him going on the road wrestling and and tagging then with with Razor um mm-hmm. after the the face turn, um is the two of them start to hang out and you know does Waltman become part of the click without that period of time in his life getting them all kind of buddy buddy with each other who's to say you know what i mean sliding doors and all that but it's like it's a yeah well i'm 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 just gonna say like when you consider that jerry lynn and sean waltman were tied at the hip up until like 1992-1993 and it was waltman who got this opportunity not jerry lynn whereas jerry lynn went on to be mr jl and you know an ecw mainstay Hmm. sean waltman went on to be part of the click and just again a super memorable part of the hottest period in wrestling history yeah a man, a man who you know managed the act of being both in the nwo and dx during their hot periods you know mm-hmm. um and you know not just anybody is landing in the, in that sort of a role um then obviously i mean the thing that you know most people remember from his wwf run is his time with the Intercontinental title and in specific the ladder matches the the feud with Shawn Michaels who was the true Intercontinental champion Wrestlemania 10 the it might be the most influential stip match in that company's history you took the words right out of my mouth um I don't think there is a more influential match in the 1990s than Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10. Um, the amount of wrestlers that match inspired, you don't get Matt and Jeff Hardy without Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10. Mm-hmm. You don't get um, that whole Omega crew, like Hurricane, Shannon Moore, etc., you don't get Edge and Christian. Like, just... It spawns so much just from that match and then the, the match the following year. But, um, yeah, like, if you just think about where the WWF was at that point in 1994... Yeah, they're starting to go through the, the roughest period in their history. Mm-hmm. You did not get matches like this. Yeah. I mean... I can 
like I ha- I haven't rewatched this match recently. Oh. It, it's just it's born into my memory. It's yeah. like Grays are coming out and doing the 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 razor walk through under the ladder. Yeah, it, it's, it's like so ingrained. Like the the WrestleMania X logo in the background. It, the the two the two look. belts, the two belts sh- shimmering in the light. Yeah. Oh, and it's just it's so perfect and chiefly as well because this was you know before the and the, the the spot filled ladder matches have their place for sure and i don't mean to denigrate them in any way but this is my favorite type of ladder match as well in as much as it is not a match where they're like hey what's the you know the the coolest most insane shit we can do with the ladder here it was a great wrestling match into which they incorporated the ladder you know even if this wasn't a ladder match. This was a very well put together match that told a great story, you know. Um, and yeah, just the the involvement of the ladder then, and the you know who's the true champion. Just all that stuff takes it over the top. It's it's one of the the most memorable matches in the history of WrestleMania, in the history of WWF, and as we've both said, there it is maybe the single most influential match. Um, and one thing we haven't touched on yet is Razor's attire, like his wrestling attire. Uh, I don't know whether it was intentional. Mm. I don't think we'll ever know. But Razor coming out in the black and gold to match the black and gold belts, like mm-hmm. you know the, the gold in the continent with the black strap. Um, it's just like I say, it's it's so burned in my memory of exactly why he was wearing, but like. Razor's gear, like I, I mentioned, like he he jumped off the screen. His gear was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like you. Obviously, you were later to to the Razor um look, but as a kid, I had no idea they were razor blades on his gear. Yeah, I've I don't know. I think it was Alan Varel, friend our friend of ours, that uh, said you know there were mini cheeses in his mind. <laughs> I absolutely thought the same. <laughs> <laughs> now why he would have mini cheeses I don't know but that's absolutely what it looked like to me as a, a 7, 8 year old yeah. kid that's um, it oh yeah <laughs> little Lee is like oh he's called Razor because he loves that razor sharp cheddar flavour <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like all the different colour gear he would wear um, like I don't think there was anyone else at the time that would change up their retire so much and again that's what made him so different than everybody else it's it's something we've said on the podcast before about guys like savage people from that era who just they knew that that to make the extra effort to present themselves like an absolute megastar and even though you know as we'll talk about in a second the guy never really got his fair crack at the top in that company he he still looked like a world champion level guy. Any um any younger fan who is not kind of hugely familiar with Scott Hall would probably be stunned finding out he was never a WWF champion or a WCW champion because the dude just oozed top guy for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I think Scott Hall. Like, Scott Hall was never a world champion 
anywhere. Like, no company ever made him a world champion. Uh, yeah, except Puerto Rico. But, you know, none of the none of the major leagues did. Yeah, but, like, you know, people say, oh, you know, the best people can never be world champion. Like, Kurt Henning was AWA world champion. Yeah. Um, Ted DiBiase was the Mid-South champion, which I don't know if it was a world title at the time when he won it, but he was definitely Mid-South champion. Like, these guys were top guys. And were top champions before they came to the WWF. Um, Scott was never champion. Like I say, Puerto Rico being the exception. But, like, Scott Hall is the absolute biggest name in the history to never be world champion. Yeah. But you know what? That's okay because he's Scott Hall. And at the end of the day, it's okay to have not been world champion at a time where you only had maybe two world champions every year. Yeah. Um, like like you said, the guy just oozed top guy. Yeah, he he is a quintessential part of the aura the intercontinental title had of being the belt that the guy who everyone expects to eventually be the guy has to hold first. You know, mm-hmm. it was the progress you made and when you think of the intercontinental title in wwf anybody our age or even slightly younger among the first three or four people in your head when you think of that belt is razor Mm -hmm. and i think of him in the first few people associated with that belt even though as i said i wasn't watching till pretty much he was gone out the door you know that's how essentially is yeah it's like for me again that bit older than you it, it's Mr. Perfect it's Scott Hall or Razor Ramon and then after that you have varying degrees of you know kind of more modern guys that are more associated with it but like again like it's me it's Perfect Razor Brett Sean they're all kind of interlinked in my mind over the IC title yeah and that that's like you said, it was that worker's belt. It was... Mm. And th- and that comes back to what we were said. Skull was a big man. Mm-hmm. And he worked like these... Good, like, look who I mentioned here. Mr. Perfect. Yeah. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Yeah. And Skull was able to go with the best of them. Yeah. He uh, he held the belt four times. Uh, a combined 437 days. He is still the sixth highest com- for combined reigns of all time. Uh, it's crazy that like he held the belt for 437 days so that's like a good whack over a year and the dude was only in the company for like three years Mm -hmm. you know like that's an impression that is an impression and you know and and, and like you said that's at a time when the belt was important yeah, oh yeah. They weren't just like there's there's very rare instances during that period of them just doing a you know, transitional run like a, most people who got that belt and everybody who got it for any significant period of time. It was all very deliberate and very kind of you have earned this and we believe in you to some extent now. Like like you you consider one of the most famous events of all time is SummerSlam 92. And Davey held that belt for not very long because he was basically marked in to win the belt because the the pay-per-view has been held in England and they very quickly got the belt off him to get it on Sean. Yeah. 
and that was very rare that you have a transitional IC champ like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's talk about another one of his iconic moments in WWF for a different reason. And, you know, it's been in God knows how many documentaries to this point. So we don't need to belabor the point. But I, I think you can't mention the, the run of Scott Hall and his move to WCW without talking about the curtain call. Um, And one of Scott's huge legacies on the industry is how differently people view wrestlers and how a kind of, you know, <laughs> I know him and was it him and uh, Nash and their, their hall of fame. We're talking about like their biggest legacy is two words guaranteed money as well. <laughs> um, but the curtain call, this kind of moment that was so like unheard of at the time for, you know, kayfabe to just be shattered in front of a whole building full of people as you know the clique said goodbye to each other and hugged it out baby faces and heels having a big group hug um it was seismic and uh, you know i said that we're not going to dwell on it too long because it's in so many documentaries but lee it's in so many documentaries for a fucking reason yeah it's like it's really important in WWF history, but ultimately it was just four friends in a ring saying goodbye to each other in front of the audience. Like to me, it's something that's way, way overblown. Mm. Like when you consider where wrestling was going at that point. Yeah. Like WWF at this point had been saying for nearly. God, it had to have been like seven, eight years at this point that, you know, wrestling was fake. Like, they mm. they had been classifying themselves as sports entertainment since the mid-80s. Yeah. Um, and all the kind of older guys that, you know, oh, it's the garden and you can't do this and you can't do that. I mean, like, Vince fucking gave them the okay and then all of a sudden got offended because other people were offended which is yeah. typical Vince bullshit like yeah um but yeah like if, if I'm Scott Hall and, and Kevin Nash like yeah fuck you like we're we've helped build this company back up in the past two years and you know we're gonna say goodbye to our friends and you know these people have paid to see us I mean yeah, like, I I don't see why people would be so pissed off about it, considering it was not a secret that the business was predetermined at this point. Yeah, and it's funny because, again, it, it not a point we want to labour for too long, but that moment and where the four men involved in it are all head off uh, either, you know, because they were heading off anyway in the case of the Outsiders or the positions they were put on the card as a direct consequence of that in triple h's case it's really like massive for the history of that company for the next couple of years you know do you know what else nobody ever talks about is the fact that this was a madison square garden house show yeah you know it was a house show because the only footage that the wwf have is a camera up in the fucking bleachers. Yeah. 
like not not ringsides. Oh no, this is up in the fucking the nosebleeds in Madison Square Garden, mm. and that's the only footage that exists of it because yeah. WWF didn't think this show was important enough to record at the time. Yeah. Hi, I'm Joey, and I'm a contributor to the Voices of Wrestling site, and I'm the host of the Mox podcast, known as Wild Thing. You know, I'm a big fan of Days of Thunder, but it's it's sad that you know this is the reason why I get to speak on it for the first time. I'm a big Razor Ramon fan. I grew up on 90s WWF and I was roughly around 8 or 9 when Razor Ramon first popped onto my television screen. And you can easily see you know, how popular this guy was just by looking at the schoolyard. We used to always play Royal Rumbles and it was always great crack You know, when we were younger to beat the shit out of each other and try and push each other out of the little den we had in school. And everyone wanted to be Bret Taker or Razor Ramon at this stage. You know, some people were hanging on to Hogan, but let's be honest here, no one really gives a shit about Hogan. But um, Razor Ramon was definitely over with the crowd at the stage. You know, like he was definitely a big hit in the playground. And I don't think anyone that was a true fan around eight or nine or probably around that age didn't try a Razor's Edge on their friend. It was so cool trying to just grab them by the darn pits and try and slam them down because we were idiots. And, you know, we always tried this stuff at home and Razor Ramon was one of the reasons to do that. You know, I used to try and copy him all the time. I used to try and copy a lot of these guys all the time, but I have vivid memories of trying to emulate Razor, as cheesy as it may sound for like an eight or nine-year-old. I used to do the Razor walk. I used to gel my hair real back, you know, in front of the mirror as a 10-year-old and try and get the spring of a curl just in front of my forehead, just like Ramon. And I used to take cocktail sausages at parties just to play with the toothpicks so I could pretend to be Razor. And I have definitely awful memories of going in and out of ladders just like razor did in atlantic home care you know here in ireland and the man was a shit cool as he put it he would ooze machismo he was awesome he just looked the part he had this physical charisma about him this aura and you were drawn to him he looked cool whether it's gold whether it's his hair and the fact that he came in as a bad guy but he used bad guy sort of persona to his to his benefit when he became a good guy in wwf and this is what made him a star this is this is this is the, the fuse, as they say, to spark his career. It was amazing. I loved him. He was an easy character to love when um you tuned into WWF on a Saturday morning here in Ireland and the story with the one two three kid will always be a fond memory, as well as IC title run. You you think of the IC championship, you think of him, you think of his battles with Sean, his brief feud with Goldust and of course I'm with Jeff Jarrett Mark and I'll always have a bit of a time for him for that reason and he, it was just this is my childhood i love watching razor ramon i love watching so many of the stars here i always want razor to be the man to be the champion rad and diesel of course i didn't know any better at the time but turns out i was right diesel sucked <laughs> as a performer and razor ramon was much better with guy and you know it's the way i looked at it when i was younger obviously his latter matches with sean will be his crowning achievement especially his one at wrestlemania 10 it was innovative himself and sean changed the landscape professional wrestling for the better it was just for me at the time it was fresh it was groundbreaking i'd never seen anything like it because there was nothing like it you know and the impact those matches had on pro wrestling now they shine through today where would pro wrestling be without razor ramon when he left wwf i had no idea where he went because i was 11 i had no access to wcw i had no access to the internet because it wasn't a thing yet in ireland and I had to get my fix from reading Power Slam magazines and other such wrestling magazines to be able to see exactly how Hall grew. The NWO was huge. You could see he'd become the megastar he was always on the cusp of being. 
himself Hogan and Nash changed the landscape once again and how many people in their careers can say they changed pro wrestling so monumentously like the way Hall had with the ladder matches with the NWO like these were two big pivotal moments in the pro wrestling history and it's amazing that this guy was such a huge part of them and he'll always be remembered for it what's my own personal favorite Scott Hall Razor Ramon moment well I'll always love the ladder matches I'll always love his match with Brett and Jarrett and as a character you know he's always amazing but for me it's the match with the one two three kid I probably watched this on a WWF Mania on a Saturday morning and obviously it was on Raw but I didn't have access to that at the stage I had to wait for it on a Saturday morning and in those days Raw was a squash match playground for sure like it was like it wouldn't be uncommon to see Razor or any other big top stars swat these guys like flies and it was surely this was going to be the way this match was you know this smaller skinny scrawny kid versus this clear established prick of a character there's no way the kid is winning this one but you know as you watched and you got this little bit of a little bit of flurry from from the kid a few little bits of offense you thought to yourself maybe maybe a chance but you know reality would set in you'd realize there's no way no no this isn't happening this look this is how it goes down the kid loses he may get a bit of a shine here but he's gonna lose and for him to climb the torn buckle after dodging a razor rushing onslaught charge and he climbs up the top and hits that moonsault and gets the unexpected one two three like i popped i was amazed i was shocked it was like this was something to write home about when surely there wasn't going to be anything here in this match like it was presumed by looking at razor all the way through the match with a smirking face that victory was his and the crowd were telling them all about it. And for this finish to happen, it was just, it proved that, as Vince always said, anything can happen in the WWF. And this was exactly what he meant. You know, I couldn't believe it. This nobody beat the big, muscly, big heel of a star in Ramon. And I'll never forget it. I loved it. And whether you love or hate Scott Hall or Razor Ramon, there's no doubt about it, that Hall left a huge mark on professional wrestling. And it's a damn shame that we'll never hear another, hey, yo. Or another, say hello to the bad guy ever again. Scott Hall, rest in peace, brother. So then, to WCW, and a man in what we would now call a Canadian tuxedo, denim head to toe, <laughs> hops the rail, hops into the ring, and, you know, I rewatched this today, and it's, it's rare get this kind of reaction because it's a it's a stunned silence and shock as he comes in and the mounting realization that it's razor and those iconic words he speaks in that promo i have no idea wait a minute i can't believe it. i can't believe what i'm saying it's, you people what's with him you know who i am But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is Billionaire Ted? Where is the Nacho Man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want. Whenever I want. Listen, we can, we need somebody to talk to And where, oh, where is Scheme Gene? Because I got a scoop for you. 
When that Ken doll look-alike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. We couldn't have known how massive it was going to be at the time, but holy shit, what, what a moment. I love and credit to WCW. I absolutely love how this is all shot. Because as the match is going on in, in the ring, you just, in the background, you see this figure. And you hear murmurs. It's just It just builds. And then, like you said, it doesn't build to it. It's, it goes silent. And it's just like the wrestlers don't, you know, attack them. They don't, they kind of like, they're stunned and don't know what to do. And the announcers are stunned. It's just, like you said, nobody could have predicted how this would play out. But that debut is just, again, I hate to repeat myself, it, like it is iconic. It, it's, it's one of those moments in wrestling history that can never be replayed too much. And then, obviously, Big Kev follows him. It all builds to the Bash at the Beach, 96, and the arrival of the third man in Hogan, and we were off to the fucking races. And Nash... Uh, Go on, yeah. But I was going to say, before we get to Bash at the Beach, WCW spent two months not give, naming these guys. Yeah. Like, for two months, these were just the outsiders. Yeah. You know who they are. That's mm-hmm. all it was. You you know who they are. And like that became their thing. You know wh- who we are and why we're here. And obviously that comes out of circumstances because they legally couldn't <laughs> say, you know, their their former names. Um, uh, I, I can't remember. What was the name? I know they had Axel lined up as the yeah. Diesel-esque name for Kevin Nash, but I know they had something lined up for, for Hall, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I can. No, I can't remember either. Um, but yeah, like if if you've never, if you've never dug into, um, like between the sheets is great for this. Like from basically mid nineteen ninety six onwards, there is just continuous lawsuits between WCW and WWF and countersuits back and forth, and <laughs> Scott Hall and Kevin Nash between them would give some of the funniest depositions where they are literally just talking to Vince <laughs> directly while yeah. giving deposition about these lawsuits and kind of laughing it all off. Yeah. Yeah. Um so maybe sec- maybe my my second favorite depositions in the history of wrestling after, you know, the the famous nails deposition in court where it's like, do you have a grudge against Vince McMahon? No. But don't you hate Vince McMahon? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, wrestlers, not the smartest people in the world. No, no not rocket scientists, <laughs> that's for sure. But yeah, like from that moment where he hopped the fence and cut that promo, the boom began, you know, mm-hmm. and it created the hottest period for professional wrestling in that country. It, they kicked 
WWF's asses for two years. They made more money than any other wrestling company had ever made in history. And also, do you know, as a consequence that they would not care so much about, they also eventually motivated WWF into completely overhauling everything, catching and surpassing them then eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that happens without Hall hopping the fence that night, without Nash arriving with him. It was such a... Like, obviously, it Bischoff <laughs> took the idea whole cloth from Japan. But mm-hmm. if it hadn't been executed as well as it has, if it if it had been two different guys, two less charismatic guys, would it have gone over as well? I'm not so sure. Like, if it was... Like, Lex Luger had jumped that the previous September. So, if it had been Lex Luger and the British Bulldog... Doesn't have the same appeal. No. Um, like, Scott Hall and Kevin Ash were the only two people that could give Hulk Hogan that cool appeal. Mm-hmm. I suppose we have then, you know, our WCW run that we'll be talking about, we have talked about, we will continue to talk about for the rest of the run of the podcast. So, you know, let, let's jump right past that um, because, you know, we've documented it a lot on the show uh, everything to do with the NWO and how phenomenal it was and again it's one of those things where there are so many documentaries and shoot interviews about it now it feels trite to recount that because it's the best known period of the man's career in many ways mm-hmm. his return to the WWF um, which I briefly mentioned it didn't go great He, it's safe to say that you know the demons which we'll talk about more in a second the um, his well-documented problems were really taking the better of him, you know, between the end of his WCW run and, and around this time as well. But as a child who who didn't, who wasn't online and who didn't know any of this stuff was going on, like I said, the pure excitement of him versus Stone Cold felt like some wild shit I only could have done in my create a wrestler on No Mercy or some shit. Like, it was so exciting. I know it feels like such a... Like, a, a, a going against the grain thing to say, but I know, like, Rock and Hogan was the, the big thing, you know, but... Something about Hall versus Austin for me in my head leading up to the match was just as exciting. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I was very excited for Hogan to be back in WF at the time. But yeah, I was always more of an Austin guy than a Rock guy. Yeah. So Austin Hall to me very much felt like a main event match on level with, with Hogan Rock. Mm. Um, and also like you're just like, this is the shit I wasn't getting in 2001 during the invasion. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, which absolutely helped. Um, but so, two thousand two. How old were you? Uh, I was twelve when this WrestleMania happened. Okay, so I would have been just turning. So they returned in February at No Way Out. So depending on when in February it would have been, I would have been just turning sixteen. Hmm. I absolutely stayed up to watch yeah, No Way Out. Me too, yeah. I went over that, to my... I didn't have Sky Sports. I went over to my, my granny's house. They had Sky Sports, and I stayed up and watched it and recorded so th- it on VHS. That's what I was going to ask. Like, um, had you stayed up? But I can remember staying up and the excitement because, you know, it's the NWO and the WWF. Like, what 
what's possibly going to happen? Like, is it going to be just to trade them? Is it? Is there going to be more? Is it going to be just two of them? Like, you know. So again, not being an online fan and not you know knowing it was to trade them coming in or whatever. So when that pay per view started, and it instantly goes into the NWO music, I was I was up off my chair. I was. To quote Lanza, pay, standing and pacing in the den. Um, mm. And the first man to speak was Scott Hall. Yeah. You get the very famous, hey yo. Yeah. Just dripping with cool. And I mean, no offense to Kevin Ash. <laughs> but Plenty of offense to Hogan. Oh, the <laughs> man had no right to be there. <laughs> But Scott Hall was just oozing cool. I mean, yeah, he was a bad guy. Like he, you know, we'll we'll talk about. It. Like he went on to destroy Austin's knee with a, a cinder block and whatever else, like fucking really heelish stuff. The NWO would go on to do. But you want to just talk about cool heels and how again. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall just went on to change how people wanted to be perceived. Everyone wanted to be the cool heel after them. But nobody could do it like Scott Hall. Even more so than Nash, I think Scott Hall was the one that really pulled off the cool heel thing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, he, he really did. He just, like, again, if you could bottle that charisma and just give it to every guy coming into wrestling school it would be a, a much better business for us um, um that that austin feud i i quite enjoyed the austin feud like obviously in hindsight with all of scott's problems at the time it's not it can't have been fun for him yeah but like the the mania match itself i think is like it's pretty good like it's not a bad match something i i had written down that i wanted to make absolutely sure to say before we uh moved on from it was that uh one of my all-time favorite stunner bumps <laughs> scott is the, the, is the mania the mania one yeah yeah um like a turtle that had been electrocuted <laughs> leaps <laughs> into the air that's definitely one way of describing yeah. it. And it's um, a, it's something that, you know, we'll get to our section with all the feedback from people who were very generous with their time to send us in memories of Scott. But um, one of the things that really I love so much about him watching back as an adult is how big he goes when he sells things. Like, you know, somebody mm-hmm. somebody said that, like, nobody sold a punch like Scott Hall. You know, that was something that people said a lot on Twitter this week. And yeah, like doing the like the full arm swinging and stuff like that, like really playing to the cheap seats uh, was something I really appreciate yeah. about him now. The more I understand the craft behind uh, wrestling. Um, Again, just just an, another little small part of that awesome feud I really enjoyed. And it's kind of it's overdone at this point was that um, Hall for like three weeks in the build up was just stunnering people mm-hmm. just because he could. Yeah great stuff and it was just and it wasn't even a good stunner yeah and I think that's that that was intentional it was part of the charm <laughs> yeah yeah um look I, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention in passing um the the well publicized demons that 
that Scott fought before and throughout his career. And part of that is in service to the fact of he got a, a redemption, a comeback story, a third act to his life that I think a lot of people in the early to mid 2000s didn't think he was ever going to get. Um, mm-hmm. But also to do a fair reflection of the man himself, we, we do need to talk about it. And the, the root of his problems appears to have started even before he got into the industry. Um, in 1983, uh, he used to, he used to tend bar, uh, in Orlando, uh, a place called the original dollhouse. It was a, a gentleman's club and he got into a dispute with a patron over one of the women there. And after the initial kind of jawing or whatever had happened in the bar, the, the guy found Hall's car in the parking lot where he was smashing the glass windows in. Scott saw this um, and they kind of, they went at it. The man produced a gun and in, in a moment of like, he was definitely going to kill me. So he, <laughs> Scott reaches for the gun as well. Scott made it there first, shot the man and killed him. They killed him in self-defense. And this single incident would haunt Scott for the rest of his life and it was the start of him self-medicating with drugs and alcohol to try and get over it there he has he talked a lot during his life about the various points at which he was so low that he he wanted to end his life and the only thing that ever stopped him was that he was he was raised Catholic and was kind of the only thing that was worse to him than than living through with that pain was the fear that he would go to hell if he if he took his own life, which is so sad that like he was just tortured for so many years by it. And then, of course, as he gets into professional wrestling, which if you've got those kind of predilections towards self-medication it's not the best place to be and it that is absolutely the worst era to be in as well when he broke in for that kind of stuff and as he was taking more bumps and it was taking a toll on his body and he had injuries and things like that he you know would indulge more and imbibe more and this is where as we had alluded to lee at the start of the episode um, he had so many brushes with death over the years. You know, we talked about it on the podcast before the amount of times this guy got into high speed car wrecks and things like that in the nineties, and he would drink himself into oblivion and things like that. Um, and it all seems to stem from this one traumatic incident. And one thing that when during a period, maybe one of the more recent periods where I thought, oh God, it was all going to be a sad ending for Scott, was. I think one of his last relapses before he got clean um, when he was on Twitter and you could just see this guy unraveling and you would see things about how like the guy would get into a state, go online and start kind of like harassing people and, you know, sending dodgy messages to people and, and things like that. And this was just like not to excuse any of that behavior or anything like that. I wouldn't dare to do it. But like just such a tr- a sad and troubled guy mm-hmm. from this one, like he killed a guy that was going to kill him. You know what I mean? And and he just never got over it. Yeah, it's 
it's one of those like sliding door moments where it was a him or me kind of thing and it's almost like on that day both of them died because yeah. Scott was so troubled by it afterwards and for the rest of his life. Um Yeah, like the the one that that's kind of famous is from the it's the Jake Roberts um resurrection of Jake Roberts and Scott. It becomes like a Scott Hall story halfway through as well. Yeah. And like you, you see the like the very famous footage of Scott at a convention and an indie show. Oh, the um, fucking promoter, man. Yeah, it's it's like re- wrestling is a scummy business. We know this, and like watching Dallas Page watch his friends be um, taken advantage of. And allowed to go out like that in front of fans. And seeing that that was the absolute low point of Scott's life. Yeah. And at that point, even Scott realised. Yeah. That as, he, he uh, had to reach out. Like As Scott himself said, he was so bad at that point. Like, he didn't even know what country he was in. Yeah. Jimmy, I, he, he said he still to this day, when he was recording this interview, he said, I still to this day have no memory of even being there. You know, that's how bad it was at the time. Yeah, I, I, it, I'm probably getting it confused in my mind, but, like, I think it was at that point that Dallas reached out to Nash, and I think Scott had reached out independently to, to Dallas. Like, it was at that point where they all kind of converged and said, no, it has to happen now. Like, it has to happen. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't yeah. happen now, it's he's not going to last any longer. I, I, I do recall if... Um... If I'm remembering right, I think it was during this period as well where he had Nash had gotten some troubling messages about him trying to get a gun. Yeah. You know. Um, it was really, really dark. And that's why, like, you know, we mentioned it on the show before, is that much as we love DDP, um, his most positive contribution to the world of wrestling is this guy gave Scott Hall and Jake Roberts, two guys who were at one time or another considered the lost causes of lost causes. Mm-hmm. He gave them, you know, obviously we're here talking about Scott who died at 63, which is too young to die. But at the same time, there's like 10 years of that that we never thought we were going to get. Like he got his flowers. He got to be here for his Hall of Fame. He got to be here for to hear people talk about how much he meant to them while he was still here. And in professional wrestling, not nearly as 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 many people as should get that, you know. Um, I mean, not not even pro wrestling in life. Yeah, true. As sad as it is, like yeah. in, it's not just wrestling; it's life. He he talks about. Um, He, he he obviously credits Paige w- with saving his life and he really like he, he taught he I was listening to uh, one of his shoot interviews where he's talking about how he had gone to rehab I think 12 times or 10 Jeez. 10 or 12 times okay. and it's like the first half of them he paid for off his own bat and the second half Vince paid for Um, and it was just like it just wasn't taking and the thing was he realized when he came to the period where he really reached out to DDP for help, 
is that he had realized he was treating the symptoms. He was treating the alcoholism and the drug addiction, but he wasn't treating the cause. He had never really addressed that trauma, you know. And he was also a guy who he had that military brat background as well, which I didn't know till I was looking it up. He moved all around the place until he was about 15. He had nowhere he really could call a home. Do you know what I mean? And that, that that's a trauma in and of itself, even if you have a positive upbringing with your family and stuff like that. You know, that is an adverse experience where you never get to, to put down roots. Uh, I think he said he moved about once a year for the first 15 years of his life. He went to school. Uh, he did a lot of his schooling in Munich, of all places, Germany, uh, when his, his father was on a, a base over in Germany. Um, but it, it was just so nice to see him get that that redemption. And it was so, I remember when he came out and they got there, like as much as the moment was just like, at the time it was kind of cringely overbooked. But the idea of getting that, him to be physically able to do that DX versus NWO standoff at WrestleMania is such a nice moment. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I was reading as well in one of the stories that came out around his de- death about how it's so funny how some people's, fates are intertwined as well because that final time where he hit the bottom um who is the guy who is in charge of sober living you know uh contacts for the wwe who comes into his hospital room to visit him but his former tag partner dan spivey um and it's just it's just incredible that like these coincidences and having people in Spivey and in Page who are friends of his who are well placed to help him out of the dark, you know? Yeah, it's like like fate life is funny and like we said, like Scott came into the wrestling business with all like with with that demon hanging over him. And like yeah. one of his first like real friends in the business would have been Dan Spivey. And the fact that he was there as he was coming out of the business more so than kind of like he was he was finishing up as a, as an active competitor for sure yeah. like but he was kind of finished um, contributing shall we say mm-hmm. um, and it's Dan Spivey that's there to, to to help him through things it's just mm-hmm. like faith life whatever you want to call it is, it can be strange and funny sometimes yeah he he had. Um... He had a great line that I uncovered where uh, one of the times his health problems were so bad, I was telling you this off the air, that he he had been drinking so much that like the doctor in one of these hospitals just said to him, dude, you are going to die and you're going to die soon. And in the most like channeling the character, channeling the bad guy, he invited the doctor out into the parking lot because he says, if I'm dying, you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just like refusing to go out on anybody else's terms uh, but his own and he, he said like there's a lot of things that contributed to him he stopped drinking in 2013 and there was no one single thing and he'd love to say that you know he'd love to be able to point at a single thing but he just said a certain point came where he just didn't want to drink anymore and he moved in with Dallas and then even I think for pretty much the entirety of the rest of his life he he was in the same living in the same area as Dallas because of him and because like he felt so 
not indebted to him, but just like so such camaraderie for him for for mm-hmm. being there for him and i love the line the line i read in one of his interviews where he's just like he didn't want people to think that he he was like he goes i'm all for a drink don't get me wrong i'm just one of the guys who can't do it successfully which i thought is a very scott hall way of looking <laughs> at us <laughs> okay that that is funny like and i find that like um i, I don't like saying recovering alcoholics because alcoholics are always in a battle but I yeah. find that they can have a very dark, funny sense of humor about things hmm. when when they're you know things are are going well for them. And uh, yeah, Scott Hall definitely demonstrated that there. Hello, Days of Thunder fans. This is Alan Four L. Yes, you may remember me from such Days of Thunder pick your poison episodes as Eugene Gada, and I am here to talk about the great Scott Hall or. As I, I suppose, probably most commonly think of him as Razor Ramon. Because, to me, um, Razor's rise in the WWF, and really his whole run in the WWF, coincided with my, kind of the main part of my childhood as a young wrestling fan. Um, you know, he came into the company in late 92. I'm probably about a year in watching consistently at that point. Um, my memory's real sketchy of that kind of first year watching wrestling. I, I don't have huge memory of Razor arriving as a heel. Uh, however, once you get into 1993, he is absolutely one of the... the, the main stars on the roster to me and anyone who has listened to me podcast for a long time probably would have heard me talk about what a tentpole moment of my wrestling fandom the May 17th 1993 episode of Raw uh, with the 1-2-3 kid upset of Razor Ramon I'm sure everyone's talking about it this week but that I, I can't stress enough how much that episode of Raw with not just that match but also with the Marty Jannetty return and upset of Shawn Michaels it was the night of upsets and um, for me it was a really special show both because of how impactful it was but also just it's just tied into memories of my life at that point because that was when I went on my first family holiday right after my uh Right after my first communion, um, I, I was told on the morning of my communion that we would be going on uh, our first holiday uh, to Majorca, lovely uh, sunny Majorca, and uh, uh, I threw a tantrum on the morning of my communion. I died, and my poor parents like thought they were surprising me with this lovely thing. They, but no, I threw a tantrum. I did not want to leave. I did not want to miss wrestling. I did not want to uh, get in a plane. Nothing about this was appealing to me, but. Uh, and certainly not appealing was uh, the fact that I was hauled through the airport in my ridiculously embarrassing communion outfit that I just did not want to be wearing. Um, but regardless, uh, I looked like a damn sailor. It was ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I remember specifically uh, a couple of wrestling related things that stand in my head from that. And one was in the airport seeing a King of the Ring qualifier on TV. And it was like I was like being pulled away from my wrestling, but then I was getting these like little, these little stones or crumbs of my wrestling thrown at me on my travels. And I was like in the airport in the 
departure lounge. There's a King of the Ring qualifier on TV. We go to a some like restaurant type bar in the middle of the forest in Spain, and there's a, a TV on, and, and Lex Luger is in the ring. And I remember that. But then the real thing that stands out is gathering in the lobby, the TV area of the the hotel. Um, one of the nights, and at this point I was having a great time, obviously, it took, I was a stupid moany child, like, it took me, once I, once I got to grips with the new situation of being on holidays, I was, like, having a blast, it was great, in there, the pool every day, fantastic, but, uh, I gathered in the lounge with a, a bunch of other people, I remember there was lots of older kids there, I would have been seven, um, seven nearly turning eight, and, uh, uh, I had a kid that I was friends with who was like the same age as me and um, we sat in nervously amongst these older kids and they were flicking through the channels and they went past wrestling and I was like oh I didn't want to be like oh put the wrestling on because I was like nervous so um, but a bunch of the older kids were all like oh put back on the wrestling I was like hoping they'd stay on the wrestling and as they flicked back and forth I saw Razor Ramon I was like yeah oh my god it's it's Monday Night Raw um it was actually mania I would assume um that was that was what was showing these matches from the Raw but nevertheless uh I saw Razor in the ring with the one two three kid and I remember the chatter as they decided to stay on on this match uh the the chatter in the the room of um uh like what was it that was said it was like oh razor ramon he's a big star he's gonna kill this this weakling um i remember the term weakling being used uh for for one two three kid and the place exploded obviously when the upset happened I couldn't believe what I was seeing it was insane and I remember um actually you know what the kid that I was friends with wasn't in there at that moment and it was when that match ended I was so excited and I couldn't believe that the wrestling was on and we were all watching it and, and Razor just lost the one two three kids or just the kid at that point and I legged it out of that lounge area, ran by the pool, I remember, and this was in the dark, it's that night, and I'm hurdling stacked up sunbeds that are just like put put away for, for the evening. Uh, I'm hurdling over these things. I don't know how my little seven-year-old legs are doing it, but I'm like Linford Christie running down the side of the pool, somehow not slipping and just absolutely wrecking myself jumping over sunbeds and um, flying up the stairs and going banging on the door of uh, where the whichever uh, hotel room this this kid I was friends with was staying in and his mom answered and I'm out of breath I'm like I don't even remember the kid's name and I was like get tell and the kid comes out I'm like Monday Night Raw Razor Ramon he just lost <laughs> and then he comes in we scale back down the, the steps we are both sprinting it's two linford christie it's linford christie and uh and um uh 
Donovan, not Donovan McNabb, he's, he's not fast at all. Uh, uh, Donovan Bailey and Linford Christie running down the side of the pool here, hurtling, hurtling the sunbeds again and getting back into the lounge area, taking our seats, the wrestling's still on and then watching the rest of the show and Sean and Marty and it just like literally is such a vivid memory of my childhood and so much of that excitement and enthusiasm came from just the glimpse of Razor Ramon at the star that he was, the incredible job he did creating the drama that he created in that match with the one, two, three kid. And um, yeah, just like, it was such a, as I said, a tentpole moment of, of, of my wrestling childhood. Now, I don't know at that point if, if Sky won because so I basically lost wrestling for and I'm sure a lot of other uh, people in Dublin I think Rovert remembers this I'm sure others who are similar age to me from Dublin remember this but uh, um, the basic kind of cable package that we that we had with the, the English channels and, and, and whatnot had Sky One on it um, but then in 93 Sky One wasn't on it anymore so I wasn't able to see wrestling. I definitely didn't have Sky Sports. My uncle, I had an uncle who had Sky Sports who recorded King of the Ring 93 for me and I watched that tape like a gazillion times. But um, Razor versus Brett, great match. And um, so anyway, I, I it was around middle of 93 anyway that I wasn't able to see it on TV. But I was getting a much more increased fandom purely by getting the magazine, WWF magazine, every month and reading that thing cover to cover over and over was inc somehow increasing my fandom, even though I was barely seeing any actual footage on TV. And I remember what was huge to me was when the, it was a, maybe the October edition, I want to say, and Razor is on the cover in his green gear and he hadn't really worn the green as a heel he had mainly been in the black and the yellow as, as a heel he had, he had never really worn the green the green was kind of like new baby face color for him and he looked like such a star and the magazine documented how he and rick martell had been the the final two in the battle royal to decide the new intercontinental champion that the title was vacant and they ended up going against each other the following week then for the intercontinental title and razor beat rick martel becomes intercontinental champion and to me it's like they they say oh razor never won the world title or and people joke about the intercontinental title not being important or whatever but Ray Razor was one of the last guys to feel like a top star by being Intercontinental Champion. Like, to me, seeing that in the magazine, he might as well have won the, I don't know, Kenta Kobashi's GHC Junior, GHC Heavyweight Championship in, in 2003, or, or the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from Okada in 2017. Like, Razor winning the IC title was such a huge prize. Uh, for me reading that and seeing him in there and just thinking, wow, what a star. Um, so yeah, huge part of my childhood. Um, was always a fan, loved the feud with Diesel. Um, 
I remember specifically uh, in 1994, we had got it back on TV at this point. I remember the great day that uh, that, w, or that Sky One came back onto the TV just randomly as flicking channels and there it was. And of course, wrestling was on and IRS was uh, uh, taking Tatanka's uh, feathers or it might have been taking uh, Chief J Strongwell's headdress. It was something to do with that angle. Um, and I freaked out. Wrestling was back. Oh my God. But uh, uh, yeah, and didn't really look back from that point. But um, I mean, I watched Action Zone was just a priority viewing for me when that thing started and of course it was Action Zone episode 2 in 1994 which had the incredible click tag match Razor and the Kid against Sean and Diesel just great and um, I was gonna say I remember uh, um, uh, again me having a, a childhood tantrum um, when my family were trying to watch the Eurovision in um, May of uh, 1994 and I wanted to watch, there was a, I think it was a Superstars or something that had a uh, Razor versus Diesel highlights. And I wanted to see that so badly. And I threw a tantrum and I don't know if I got my way or not, but I uh, can't really remember. But um, yeah, Razor was, was huge. As I said, right through like then when the kid turned on him, that was a big deal to me. And, and then it just kind of fizzled out and I didn't really know where he went because... <laughs> I had WCW in on ITV in, in 93 and early 94, but WCW was gone off my radar completely by 96. And yeah, Razor and Diesel just kind of disappeared. Fake Razor and fake Diesel just confused me. I didn't know what Jim Ross was playing at. Very strange stuff. But uh, yeah, look, I've talked for way too long here. I apologize. I'm hogging up all this uh, great uh, Days of Thunder real estate. So I'll stop there. I don't like I didn't have a huge connection as it happened to Scott Hall and the NWO because I wasn't watching the stuff. But um, obviously going back and, and seeing that over the years, he was um, as as big of an issue as he could be to uh, and the NWO as a whole could be to booking and the forward momentum of the promotion he was equal parts that but also equal parts just hilarious and funny and charming and um yeah it was you know the scott hall character that he put forth on um uh on tv during those times i, I don't think it was all that different from scott hall himself from the, the stories that have come out from this week and yeah like i said just uh charming in in ways that like you can't help but love them so um yeah that's uh that's razor um and uh for me uh as a wrestling fan he lives on in big big boss shimizu in dragon gate hopefully he keeps uh keeps repping the scott hall uh fire up spots uh does the scott hall uh thumbs pointing arms out and then a cartwheel as well scott never did that but uh yeah big boss is uh he's got his own twist on things but um yeah it's uh it's a huge loss to wrestling and uh, what a career he had. Just one of these stars, one of the most impactful stars of my lifetime watching wrestling. So, uh, yeah, R.I.P. Razor Ramon. I, I wanted to, before we we hit uh, hit off onto what other people have, uh, have messages in to say about him, uh, a couple of just 
uh, things I saw this week, stories about uh, Scott, some I had heard before and some I hadn't uh, that I, I really wanted to share. Firstly, and I think I'll just put in the entire clip of it, um, the story of him telling Bubba he couldn't wait to kick out of the 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I absolutely adore that story. It, isn't it just? It's it's so great because I had I I hadn't heard the end. I had forgotten the end of the story, uh, where he says that like years later in TNA, Bubba came up to him again, and I was just like, it's just. It just shows Scott didn't mean like as he points out himself, he's like I didn't mean anything by it. Like I, it was just kind of like I just knew how he easy it was yeah. to live rent free in this guy's head, and he still did. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Probably does to this day. You know, like um, that's what it, it. It's the story with um, Sean Oliver, and it's like he said, oh, like he goes looking for his phone. He's like, I'll show you. Like um, he said, Albert literally just texted me. Yeah. He's like, this morning, saying, yo, oh, you're coming down to PC. That's great. Can't wait to kick out your finish. <laughs> it just became a thing that everyone said to each other then after that. Yeah. Um. So a story I didn't know about, but I really wanted to talk about, is in 1996, uh, America was still in the grips of kind of shall we say, not being terribly sensitive about the AIDS crisis and mm-hmm. how they treated people who had HIV AIDS. And Jerry Springer um, did an episode at the time, I haven't seen the full episode or anything like that, that was about um, people living with HIV AIDS. And he had two children on who were living with, with AIDS. And one of them, uh, she had said that her hero was professional wrestler Razor Ramon. And lo and behold, Razor shows up on the show in full gimmick, by the way. Knee pads and all. Because you always got to be ready, brother. <laughs> a, do you know what? That's a very WWF thing to show up in full gimmick. Yeah. He, he pays them a visit. He chats away to them. And... Uh, gives them some merch and stuff like that and at the end of the segment he gave them his intercontinental title and called them his champions and as this this article there's an article on wwe.com that followed up with two young people from it and it's just like it is very emotional um just talking about like to them it was like the most important thing that had ever happened in their life but as this article said for the time it was a groundbreaking show of support because again, at the time, America not doing great mm-hmm. with how they were dealing with the AIDS crisis, and you know, it, in particular, something it, it's so unusual for a professional wrestler to be on the front line of like a positive gesture in that regard. It's it it just blew my mind, you know, um, and, and you know. It, I don't necessarily want to like read out the interview word for word or anything like that. Like look out, look for the interview online and it's still crazy. Like um, just how much it meant for them. And they were the first generation of children that were born with HIV. And Mm -hmm. it meant so much to them that, that still they have their intercontinental titles to this day. Uh, It speaks to Scott Hall, the person, the man, that he mm. he was like 
he was the one to treat them with such respect and yeah. you know yeah I think like for all the stories we've ever heard about Scott Hall the guy with the, the troubles of the demons like that speaks to the, the man that Scott Hall may have really been and hearing from his peers um, and the young wrestlers that followed him how much time he had for them and how smart the guy was and how much like a little interaction with him meant for them was phenomenal. So before we move into like the, the listener feedback is next, but I want to read three comments I, w- I was reading this week. And you may have heard of a couple of these people, Lee. Um, the first per- person to mention how much Scott Hall meant to them that I saw was one Hiroshi Tanahashi. He said... A long time ago, a foreign wrestler told me, you are the future. I had just debuted, yet he already saw me as the future. You have no idea how much those words motivated me. I want him to see that I've become somebody. And as we were recording this yesterday, when he came out, he did the Razor entrance uh, in New Japan. So, like, a guy you would not necessarily have thought of as being directly influenced by Razor. And there you go. Um, The Rock... Like, the, uh, sorry, just just to say on the Tanahashi thing, I had no idea that Scott had had a match with Tanahashi. Yeah, and went uh, over. What and, a worker. Yeah, <laughs> and I was just going to say, and he basically did a version of the kid match with Tanahashi. And, yeah, I think it speaks to everything about Scott Hall the professional mm-hmm. that he instantly recognised just how to, to rob a line once in a generation talent yeah. Hiroshi Tanahashi is and he was able to say you know what you are going to be the man and yeah. you know it, it speaks a lot that Tanahashi came out and did the entrance in his yeah. honour and even if like somebody would cynically say oh maybe he said that to a load of young, re- young wrestlers but the thing is, he didn't have to say it. And the fact that no. he did say it to the right guy, and that was a motivating thing for him to become fucking Tanahashi, is massive. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the Rock uh, did one of his kind of longest rolling posts on Instagram, and, and he said, before my match here with Scott, uh, so they had one match together, um, and he said, I made sure to tell him how much his in-ring work had influenced me. When I was a rookie in wrestling, I'd study Scott's matches, his style, intensity, crispness, and his excellent in-ring IQ and psychology. I studied his matches frame by frame. Um, and I loved, you know, the, the Rock talks about how, like, Scott was genuinely shocked to learn that somebody like The Rock had been influenced by him, which is surprisingly modest for the man you know like like if i was scott hall i'd be like well of course i influence people i'm fucking scott hall but he was just taken aback yeah. by it which i thought was interesting and again it, it's kind of a, a thing with with scott he he um uh, kind of downplay he downplayed his own um influence on wrestling mm. um i don't know if have you ever heard the story about Shawn michael superkick no so after Sean had gone um, as a single, you know, he'd broken up with the Rockers and um, Sean had been using the Fisherman Suplex, the Perfect Plex, as a finish, which was another reason they were kind of going towards a Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect feud in the early days of Raw. Um, but they were riding down the road, you know, Nash, Hall, um, Michaels, and, you know, Scott pipes up, he's like, you know, 
that kick you do, that that's the best move you have. You know, if it were me, that that'd be the finish I'd use. And after about five seconds, he goes, "Ah, but I'm just a dumb a dummy. I don't know what I'm talking about." And yeah. like, whereas the other two just went, "No, no, you're you're right. It, it should be his move." And yeah. he's like, "Ah, no, 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 no. I, I don't know what I'm talking about." Yeah. And it's just like somebody had to say it and like point it out, and it was him. And then he instantly downplays it. Yeah. Uh, then DDP's tweet, which just really kind of like, obviously for everything we just said about how much he meant to, to Scott, uh, his tweet was, my brother has gone on to Valhalla, Valhalla to raise some hell, the bad guy till the end. And this absolutely got me. Yo death. What's your finisher? Can't wait to kick out. Uh, he may not have kicked out, but he wasn't going to put that motherfucker over clean. (laughs) Uh, love you, Kevin Nash and miss you more. Godspeed. Rest in peace. Dally. Um, we want to close out the show by going to the listeners because I think what we really wanted more than anything, not so much to hear from the two of us babbling on about the dude because, you know, talking at length about stuff is what we do best on this show, Lee. Uh, we wanted to hear from listeners and, you know, you've heard a couple of clips so far throughout the show from our, our friends, fellow contributors. Um, we think by showing how much he meant to a wide range of fans, that will give the best picture of how important this guy was. So we're turning over this final segment to reading out uh, a bunch of, we put out uh, shout outs on our Discord channel, on our Twitter um, for both ads and DMs. Uh, just tell us everything, you know, pour out your thoughts. What do you, you know, how are you feeling uh, now that he's passed? What did he mean to you? And do you have any match recommendations? So what you're about to hear, myself and Lee are going to go back and forth with all the comments and um, let you know what people are thinking this week. So uh, I'll start first. Um, And this first section is all kind of mentions we got uh, in response to our original tweet on Twitter. So the first one I have here is from Brandon Warren. He said, my favorite little thing was sometimes when he was doing the survey, he'd say or and then follow it with a pause at another or before if you were asking if you're here to see the NWOs, just absolutely milking that crowd reaction. And that is something that I very much love uh, when he does the survey as well. Yeah. Um, again, just Scott being Scott. That that's just a classic kind of Scott thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one was Ben at Benny Five Bellies. Uh, my only contribution is to say that his WWF team tune was an absolute fucking banger. And again, hard agree. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic. Um, Gary says in in a reference to a match you were talking about uh, earlier, his match with Brett at the Rumble in 93 is superb. Surprised it doesn't get more love. Yeah, an absolute great match. Have you, I'm I'm sure you've seen the match, have you? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Um, Again, just a great performance from two fantastic wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Um, Ian, friend of the show, our friend Ian, Scottish Ian. Yeah. Literally, no matter where it was, as in, like, even when he showed up in TNA in 2010 or whatever, that first, hey yo, always made me smile from ear to ear. Yeah, gets you every time. Every single uh, time. Friend of the show, Mark Doyle, as well. I remember in first year hearing a group of six years talk about how the Razor's Edge would actually kill you. This was years <laughs> after Hall had jumped to WCW and it became the Outsider's Edge, but it felt like it really underscored how influential and memorable Razor Ramon was. 
Yeah, that's true. Like the years after the fact he'd left WCW that they were still calling it the Razor's Edge and still like, man, that Razor's Edge will fuck you up. (laughs) (laughs) I love the thought of uh, a couple of 13 year olds standing around after, you know, French class or history class eating their um, chicken rolls or fucking drinking their Capri Suns going, you know what, that Razor's Edge, that'll kill you. The best part of the story is it wasn't even the 13-year-olds. He's saying it's the six years that oh, said sorry, it. Oh, sorry, six years, yeah. These dudes, nearly 18. Like, and they're just still reeling. <laughs> uh, okay, so these next uh, couple of comments are from our Discord at uh, on the Voice of Wrestling Discord, we have our own channel there. Um, Dave, do you remember the address on the Discord? Uh, I do not, but if you go to the... I, I'm sure it'll be to, in the links. If you go to our link tree, uh, that's always posted with the show, and it's in our bio on Twitter, you'll find a link to the, the VOW Discord. There you go. Our absolute professionalism. <laughs> None of these things off the top of our head. Yeah. Uh, okay, first comment. Big, e, e, Big L, sorry. This might be a case where the obvious stuff is... Is important because it's also memorable. The debut vignettes, title match with Brett at the Rumble in '93, the one two three kid upset, boat ladder matches, the MSG curtain call, NWO formation. His initial presentation where he's dripping with gold and machismo. Something happened to this gold. Something's going to happen to you. Uh, I will say it was amazing going through my Facebook feed to see how many people had posted their photos with Scott. He's just a guy that everybody wanted to meet. I had the privilege to meet him in 2017 and he was great. He was the bad guy, but nobody wanted to hate him. I always noticed and appreciated, even as a kid, that when he turned babyface, he stayed the same. He didn't yeah. slap hands with the fans or anything like that. Just did the same stuff before heels and got cheered. And that's actually something that we kind of skipped over is that name, the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, you want to take talk about taking something so simple. Like, the guy comes in as a heel. He is the quintessential bad guy. Yeah. And as soon as he turns face, no, no, I'm still the bad guy. Nothing has changed. Just you're now cheering me. Yeah. One of the quintessential bad guys everybody wanted to cheer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's like people, we notice it a lot in WCW, where people either can't help themselves but cheer him and Nash, or you get the sense that when they're booing him, they're booing him because they know they're supposed to, but yeah. they still really like him. It's like, it's it's not quite an AEW crowd where they play along, but it was very much that kind of feeling. Um, mm. One kind of thing that just it sprung to my mind of, of like people wanting to cheer for, for, for uh, Scott Hall, like we never mentioned this, Scott Hall was the first person I ever remember really mocking his opponents. Yeah. Like in the, in the 93 Rumble, yeah, in like the 93 Rumble match, he does the kind of Bret Hart, you know, where he do the, the hands out wide on his entrance. He does yeah. that halfway through the match when he's pounding on Bret. He was the first guy I remember taking the piss out of the giant with the choke slam. Yeah. Um, again, the spooky fingers are just so memorable. Um, yeah. But yeah, like he was one of the first people I remember really taking the piss out of his opponents and it worked. Yeah. Did you see, like, this reminds me uh, where they were talking about everybody wanted to meet him. Have you seen the video that was going around this week of, like, somebody going, uh, my dad was Scott Hall's driver at some event, and <laughs> he recorded uh, Scott Hall cutting a promo on the kid about his slipping grades. Have you seen this? No. Oh, it's so good. It's him and his, you know, his uh, his blazer with the, the, the dripping red on it. 
and it, mm-hmm. it's it's him like standing outside this car and he's just like Chico I hear your grades have been slipping <laughs> it's just like if I get if I hear any more about this the bad guy is going to be coming for you and then flicks the toothpick at the phone and I was just like <laughs> what a man <laughs> uh, so that good. fantastic um, Adam Bomb then says one of the most underrated things about Scott All was how giving he could be in the ring for sure uh, he was a borderline big man even in the 90s but could move and bump like someone 50 pounds lighter he wasn't afraid to make others look good the tag match from Nitro in 97 with Nash against Flair and Benoit is a perfect encapsulation of why the Outsiders are such a great team Hall bumps around like few big men would ever during the shine Nash gets the heat Hall feeds the comeback and allows himself to be suplexed left and right by smaller opponents Scott wasn't insecure and he knew he'd still be over as a result the WCW audience is whipped up into a frenzy and thrilled by the idea of seeing a potential tag title change yes the outsiders were cool heels but when they were in the ring with a team they wanted to work with really good matches would ensue and the audience would become desperate to see them finally lose yeah I I can't disagree with any of that Mm mm-hmm um, the next comment on Discord was from Dr. Eddie. The thing with Scott Hall to me was always that he was always that he always seemed like a three month push away from being a huge, huge star. But I think the unfair thing with Scott Hall is the idea that his substance abuse problems in 1998 completely derailed him when he was great in 2002 and in early TNA. But to me, the secret with Hall to me is that he was a tag guy and his best pairing was with Walton. To that end, I recommend going back to watch his matches with the smoking guns at in her, in your house four. Mm, that's one that didn't necessarily come off the top of my head. I'm going to go back and look at that. I think for sure. Um, punished Badoof, fantastic. Uh, says. <laughs> There's also the 93 King of the Ring match with Brett that I'd consider one of his classic bouts. I feel like Hall was a guy who needed to jump to WCW when he did. While he was a good performer in the WWF, by the time he'd left, he'd been firmly slotted at IC level, and I didn't see that changing for him in the company. For whatever reason, Vince had made up his mind on that being Razor Ramon's ceiling. As an outsider with Nash, he was a top guy that probably would not have gotten a world title run, even if he didn't have a a demon in his bottle. I see him as someone who had the potential to be the top guy but it never came together either because of the timing his issues or a combination of the two and i think that really that encapsulates for me what we were trying to elucidate earlier about like in all but championship reigns he was a top guy and Mm. it is frustrating for some that he never got there but like you want to talk about a man who had a significant career without ever having those big world title runs you're not getting much better than than Scott. Oh yeah, for sure. Like we we've mentioned it. Like the man, the man changed the industry. Whether you want to say change it for the better or the worse, that depends on your perspective. But he absolutely changed the wrestling landscape in the mid nineties. Hmm. Um. Next, we have the Lama lawyer. When I think about Scott Hall, the wrestler, the first thing that comes to mind is that fun, cartoonish, nearly over the top selling he do sometimes. Him flying back on the stunner like he'd been uppercutted by by Mike Tyson the sort of <laughs> the sort of punch drunk selling he do for punches at times the yeah. wavy arms it sort of gave a sense of fun to what he did I often noticed it in matches that were not always the best and it would give me a smile Scott Hall that old scamp having a laugh during another shit match yeah 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, it. Do you know that Sean Oliver interview you mentioned earlier on? He he talks about how um something people lose sight of a lot is that wrestling's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. And that's something that yeah, like he's hit on here in this comment is that like when he felt like the the you know maybe the crowd weren't getting their their money's worth or he felt like he could inject a bit more entertainment by doing his like rope doping or <laughs> uh his cartoonish selling that was always going to make people feel like you know it was more bang for their buck and he was more than willing to do that um adam bomb then adds a last comment this is our last one from discord uh with hbk becoming the top guy in 96 i think hall would have inevitably won the world championship at least once if he'd stayed Sean had stroke and would have wanted to work an extended program with Hall over Brett, Vader, or Sid, and would have been willing to trade the title back and forth to do so. Going to WCW was the right business move, though, and wrestling was a whole lot better off for it. Interesting perspective. Yeah, like, maybe he... Like, it's tough to say authoritatively that uh, Shawn Michaels would have done the job for fucking anyone (laughs) in the mid-90s, but Scott is one of the ones that would have had the best chance for it, but ultimately, for the history of the business, and probably for a lot of people's pocketbooks, it was very good that Scott didn't stay. Yeah, it's kind of weird to consider the Razor Ramon in the attitude era, because he would have had to... like He he couldn't have kept doing the accents. Like It was a different company by that point. And even mid-96 where Sean is champion... Like as soon as Diesel and Razor leave, it 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 almost switches, because yeah. those kind of gimmicks are de pushed. Yeah. Like I know the Patriot comes in in ninety seven, but like he's kind of the last of it. Hmm. So I can't. It's one of those things I can't imagine a big Razor Ramon push in nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. but that's not to say it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um. So we move on to the DMs? Yep, final section. So these are the people who had something kind of a bit more to say and uh, just hit us up in the DMs on Twitter. Okay, no problem. I'll I'll do the first one. So the first one comes from uh, Lee Craig, friend of the show. Very sad news about Scott Hall. It seems particularly cruel considering what he had overcome in his personal life. As a wrestler, I'd be lying if I said I ever considered him my favourite, but I always enjoyed him, especially as Razor Ramon. My second ever wrestling video purchase was the Razor Ramon Oozing Machismo video tape, which I watched dozens of times, which is just a classic WWF mid-90s name for a videotape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, his peak was the Intercontinental title win at WrestleMania 10. It seems unthinkable how he never rose above that level in the WWF and seemed always a tier below Breath, Diesel, HBK and Taker. So in a way, it's a testament to his ability that and charisma that he was as impactful as he was as Razor Ramon, something that could easily have been derided in someone else's hands, <coughs> Rick Bogner. His impact with the NWO has been extremely well covered and was truly pivotal in wrestling history. Latterly, I think his WCW work suffered as he struggled away from the ring, the last call Scott Hall era, really not, being, not doing him justice. But he could still show the odd moments of brilliance and even as his in-ring career kind of sadly petered out and his personal struggles were made very public, I think like most fans of his, we were always on his side, hoping for the best for him and I was personally very happy for him to achieve sobriety and deal with some of those difficult issues he suffered with. 
And that really should be Scott Hall's greatest accomplishments. The greatest battles are fought from within, after all. As for ra- match recommendations, Lee suggests Razor vs. Brett at the Rumble, Razor vs. Brett at King of the Ring 93, the WrestleMania 10 ladder match, Razor vs. Bam Bam Bigelow, which I hadn't seen mentioned by anybody else, at King of the Ring 94, Razor vs. Diesel at Survivor Series 94, and Razor vs. HBK at Survivor Series 90, or SummerSlam 95. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that could be SummerSlam 94. Sorry, not Survivor Series. Yeah. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Webcon, next friend of the show. Uh, I'd like to recommend this Scott Hall match from his AWA days, teaming with Kurt Hennig 16 years ago in the States. ESPN Classic started airing old AWA on ESPN shows, and it's when I got to see a young, almost unrecognizable Scott Hall that I started to get why he was so good by the time I started watching wrestling in the late 2000s. Scott was off WCW, and his WWE NWO run was short-lived, and I didn't get to see what made Scott so great. Then I saw him team with Kurt and I started to get it. He's still green in this match and not polished, but he understood what he was supposed to do and then Kurt filled in the rest. So I should probably mention that we will have the the match list. Every match that was recommended will be in the show notes for you to go have a look at, including that AWA match. Um, That's actually the AWA match I watched earlier on today. Um, Ah. Again, very raw, as um, Webcon says. But yeah, you you can see the potential he has. Um, Next up is our friend, uh, Alan, who we haven't seen again in a, in a long time. But uh, he says, it's an okay match, but I have a very soft spot for the random team Survivor Series match from Survivor Series 95. Um, my nine-year-old self's mind was absolutely blown by the idea of goodies and baddies being on the same team. Yeah. Um. Our, our final comment that I wanted to put in here, it's it's the longest one we have, and I think kind of hitting on what, what uh, Lee Craig had said there, I think for me, well, this message blew me away in general, but yeah. in terms of what I feel his legacy should be, as well as everything inside the ring, what he managed to overcome and give himself that redemption um i think this this all sums it up very well so i'm giving the last comment on the show to, to howard vander he said i realized that razor ramon was the character that took me from enjoying wrestling when it comes on tv to must tune in to follow the storyline my first clear memory of an angle was his program with Goldust, but I was immediately taken in by Razor's look and, more importantly, his charisma. I didn't even realize till years later that he was doing the Tony Montana shtick, just like Yuli, uh, nor did I realize Razor was from Minnesota. He was just that impressionable. I remember reading in WWF magazine, clear as a bell, he had a feature article talking about how as a desperate... as uh, as desperate people clung to the side of boats departing from Cuba, uh, Razor just pulled up in a sports car, walked to the captain, gave him a stack of bills and sailed off to America. Young Howard didn't understand kayfabe at the time, so I just took it at further proof that this guy was the coolest man on earth. And maybe the most important part was the angle... Uh, was the angle ended with Goldust winning the IC title, but Razor more or less getting the last word. He cut that rambly promo about how people don't want their kids seeing Goldust on TV. I barely remember that part, if I'm honest. But I distinctly remember being surprised that he wasn't sore at all about losing the belt. And this prompted me to realize the bigger lesson is that accolades and success don't always matter as much as a principle. It served me well through the years, even outside of wrestling. Sort of fitting, too, that Scott is routinely considered one of the best uh, ring hands to never win the big prize 
years, but if his career showed anything, it's that some guys don't need the belt to succeed at their character. I guess things came full circle when, as a much older man, I saw WrestleMania at the movie theater, bored to tears by Sting and Triple H going the past 15-minute mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, God. Uh, still bored when DX walkout happens, but then the NWO music hits and I sat up. Hogan came out, big whoop. <laughs> Nash comes out, big whoop. But then Scott Hall came out. Older heavier a lot of years on his body and a lot of damage later and he immediately throws up the wavy fingers and struts to the ring with no fear and no self-doubt like scott i'm also an alcoholic and an addict and i've had some hard years to get through too but seeing him coming out on the big stage finally getting that moment to be remembered for still gives me chills to think about and inspires me to keep trying it may take decades but if we work at things we eventually come to the endings we're looking for Wrestling is a cruel and brutal business and happy endings are very rare. I don't know if I would say that Scott had a happy ending either, but in spite of circumstance and self-sabotage, he put in the work when everybody else gave up on him. And when they gave him the ball that one last time, he took it, ran with it and made it look effortless. I'm 35. My life is very different from when I was a kid, but it's hard not to feel like a certain chapter of fandom and of my life itself has come to a close. It's sad but it helps to see the outpouring of love and support for the bad guy. And it's comforting to remember that when push came to shove, he was not afraid to put in the work. And as long as you're doing that, I guess you're never really that helpless after all. Just a, I like, I, I can't, there's uh, yeah. nothing to add to that. It's just, it, I, I, the second we got that in the DMs, the two of us were just like, yeah, overwhelmed. I, I, I couldn't believe um Howard would share that with us. Just an absolutely incredible um story of how how much Scott and Razor meant to him and how like he's helped him through some like real life stuff and just absolutely incredible and uh, thank you for sharing Howard. Yeah. And thank you to everybody who reached out to us one way or another mm-hmm. to share your stories, to share around anything we've seen on the timeline i think like in spite of it being such a bummer that the man is gone i feel like every time i've I've logged on yeah. since monday i've seen another great treasured scott hall memory and seen you know for every comment we got explaining how much scott meant to somebody who listens to this show or follows us on some sort of social media there's a hundred stories that are similar this guy universally touched so many people's lives that it 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 it's staggering really and mm-hmm. there's no real better way to end this show lee than just to say bad times never last but bad guys do thanks everybody for tuning in we'll see you next week